Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Footy Bomber Cast. I'm your host, Sponsor34, and as always, I am joined by the Grizz. And Grizz, I didn't get to use it last week, but I'll use it right now. It was a bit of a nightmare uh, at the G on the weekend. Yeah, look, it was better than the Swans game, but it wasn't much to write home about, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, plus side is that we only lost by 32. The um, downside is that we only scored 48 points in total. So it's roughly 60% of our score. But I suppose that's where we're at. Before we get to, into the game, there is one thing I do quickly want to ask you about. And it's something that I saw on social media that Kane Corns had a whack at Eston for the fake response, you know, the confected ah, um, outrage yes. about, you know, oh, it, it was over the top, the reaction. Somebody roughed up their players and they ran in. They didn't really mean it. I mean, is that bloke the biggest outrage merchant in the AFL media right now? Because I tell you right now, if Eston hadn't come out and shown any emotion, if they hadn't gone a little over the top, look, I agree that it was a little bit forced, but if they hadn't done that, I have no doubt the first thing he would have done was bag Eston out for still showing no response to their players getting roughed up. Yep. Yeah, that's that's all a very good call. I think Kane Corns now has this rep that if he if he said he sneezes and fifty percent of the population disagrees with him. But um I think that what you said is correct in that um if they hadn't done anything, he would absolutely slam them. But I, I, I agree with him to an extent that it seemed a bit forced. So it just it didn't seem like Andy McGrath type like it wasn't an Andy McGrath type thing to be running and doing that. And you could tell that they'd been sort of hit between the eyes by this week by the coaches or by people around the club that that's not acceptable. And it did seem a bit forced, but yeah, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If they hadn't have done it, they would have been absolutely beaten pillar to post. But I think um there's merit in saying that instead of that, well, including on top of that, I would rather them focus that aggression on the contested ball, which we didn't seem to do on the weekend. Um, so it's great to, you know, and it's appropriate to go after Tom Lynch when he KOs Mac Welfie in a marking contest, but Richmond beat us at the contest of the night. So who was really tougher? And, and does, you know, all the pushing and shoving help when you don't seem to have any aggression to the ball, which is really how the good teams sort of impose their, their competitiveness and their aggression on teams. So f- for me uh, on Saturday night, I thought the be- our best player um, on the ground was, was Mason Redmond. I was very impressed with Mason on on. So that yeah, night, unfortunately, yeah. you know, he's copying that week. And I did, I, I think I saw a few people go, it's the Eston tax. I don't really, th- I mean, I thought it was a week. I get that people are probably a little frustrated that Tom Lynch didn't get the week, early, yeah. the week earlier. But, you know, a bit of inconsistency in the match review panel. It's not the it's not the worst inconsistency I think I've ever seen in the, the match review panel um, or the match review officer, sorry, as, I, as it is now. So, you know, it is, it is unfortunate that I think Mason probably played his best game for the year on, on Saturday night. He did have the 25 kicks. So, it's, I mean, 25 kicks is pretty damn impressive no matter which way you skin it it's he's had half a dozen and kicks more than anybody else on the ground he also took 10 marks and he, he dominated with meters gained he nearly had a thousand meters gained he had 950 so you know you, and you and i have touched on the fact that you know the half bank flankers can get that meters gain stat up pretty high but, that, but that's that's high even by a halfback flank, flanker standards, really. Yeah, no, he played well. I think he had a couple of moments where, you know, there's good Mason, bad Mason. There was a couple of um, kicks he took coming off the full back line that he turned over, which was bad Mason. But he's one of those players where if he's playing well, it's a key to us performing because we don't get a lot of leg drive out of our back 50 at the moment. Nick Hine, teams are just, they're either going to work on him or he's not in the form he was last year. 
And so Mason really is one of the few players that gives us any sort of drive and a, a sort of aggressive ball movement off halfback. And when he's got it going away, he did like almost a thousand meters gained. Like that's, that is elite. Like I know we're talking about halfback flankers, like you said, but almost a thousand meters is a ridiculous amount of meters gained and only from 29 kicks too. So he's, what's that? Almost 35 meters per possession. That's really good going from Mason. And it is unfortunate he's out for a week. Uh, look, I, I err on the side of if you go elbowing someone, you deserve a week. I, I, I'm frustrated that um, Lynch didn't get one and Mason did, but I would rather, you know, elbows to the face, get a week than not to be honest. So that's just my opinion. But the other one I want to point out was Zach Reed, who amazingly in three and a half quarters kept Tom Lynch goalless. Now Tom Lynch kicked 03, I think it was. 04. Um, 04. I, I watched the game intently because I wanted to see how Reedy went. And only two of those behinds were on Tom Lynch. Uh, only two of those behinds were on Zach Reed. A couple of them were, one was on Liberty and another one was where Heppel found himself on Lynch, which, you know, was never going to work in our favour. But more than the four behinds conceded, it was more about his ability to compete aerially. I thought he did a really good job. And at the moment, the way we're playing it, so sort of small mercies and those small wins that we're looking for, I thought Reedy did really well. Yeah, I think he did well. And I think it emphasises how good it is to play a key position back on a key position <laughs> and not ask and not ask a, a, a Jaden Laverde to, to play as the undersized key position player but you're right Zachary did keep Tom Lynch for you know three and a three and a bit quarters um essentially goalless I don't think I think don't think Lynch came back on for the last quarter I think that did they sub him off or so but I can't remember but it was a pretty damn good effort unfortunately of course that meant that Jack Rewalt sort of got off the chain a little bit and he did bag four but yeah, well, I thought our defence held up well. Um, you know, I mean, even Jaden, I think Jaden led led the game for intercept disposals with 13, which, I mean, I think that's pretty impressive for him. On And I do think him as an interceptor is probably more his game. I still, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I, I very much would have loved to have had another key position, a recognised key position defender in that side, in that you know, back half, whether that be... You know, Zerk Thatcher or, or Cody Brand or take your pick. I'm still frustrated with really only playing one, but it's what they've decided yeah. to go with. I, I, I think it's I, I think it's bizarre because I think the Hawthorne game showed how well it, we look when we have you know two key position defenders, two key position forwards, and since that game, we've really sort of moved away from that that format because you know yeah. Baldwin's not playing, Zerk Thatcher's not playing, Nick Bryan and Sam Draper are sort of switching, but neither of them are really the key position targets you're asking for. And we will touch on Sammy because I I've said on the board that I, that I think it's time for him to have a spell. I, I've been a big fan of the Sam Draper, Nick Bryan one-two punch this year, but I just thought Sammy was very poor on on Saturday night, and I, I think he had his colours lowered by by Toby Nankervis. Now Nankervis is probably an underrated ruckman too. I think you, we've got a acknowledge but I, I just thought Brian was better of the two and I think if we bring Harrison Jones back in this week that does potentially give us the chance to send right into the ruck for a five minute spell um, oh. which, which 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 might not be the worst thing in the world considering that he did struggle on on uh, Saturday night to break the shackles ah uh, so I'm not keen on that idea not not I'm not keen on Peter Wright playing as the second Ruckman. Oh, I think if you're going to drop Draper, it's because you're bringing in Phillips, uh, which I'm not totally against 
the idea of dropping Sammy Draper. But I think there's a philosophical question we've got to ask. It's, okay, what's best for Sam Draper's development? Is it that he should go back to the VFL, beat up on VFL Ruckman for a month, get his confidence back, then come back up? Or is it better for his development to push through this really sort of lean period that he's been going through for the last, I don't know, seven to eight weeks? I mean, he didn't touch the ball up until half time on Saturday night, which no, well, it's yeah. a massive concern. And, and I know, I think he, I think he ended up with eight touches or something, but you know, two or three of those were kicks off the ground, which so it's a massive concern that he's just not getting his hands on the pill at no, all. No, no, that that's true. So what I'm saying is, okay, so what's better for his development at this point? To help him push through and get the game time and be, just work how to get to a form slump? Or is it that he needs to go back to the back down to the VFL and, and get some confidence back in the VFL? What we shouldn't be doing is going, oh, well, well you know, Andrew Phillips is the best option for us to win games at the moment. This season's done. We're not making finals. It, it, this is all about the future at this point. Phillips not going to be here, you know, if maybe at the end of next year. He certainly won't be here much longer after that. Uh, we, we, we can't be making short-term decisions. So if you're going to stop, drop Sam Draper, it's because you think it's the best thing for his development and for his confidence. Dropping him because, you know, oh, Andrew Phillips will help us have a greater chance of winning this week. It's incredibly short-sighted. But that that's just my opinion on, on Draper. Regarding the two key position defender thing, you know, Stewart's injured, Zerk Thatcher's injured. But, you know, it's a different question. But I think we do look better with the two key defenders. But like I said, back on Draper, uh, whatever's better for him long-term is what we need to be doing. And if that means pushing through, then that's great. If it means dropping him for confidence, then that's fine. But what we can't be doing is this short-term view of, oh, well, Flip will help us win this week because that's not what's important at this point because the finals finals, and, and this season is done. You're right. I, I, my point is, though, that I think Draper has had the chance to push through his form slump and it's just getting worse. So so, sure. so I'm at the point now where I'm looking at him going, he needs to go to the VFL to not, not so much... Because to, to get confidence as such, but just to get his hands on the pill. He's, he's just not getting yeah. his hands on the, on the ball. The problem, of course, is going to be when he goes back, we don't really have a midfield at his feet. But, you know, maybe maybe he takes that that aggressive role in the VFL and maybe that's that's also helps him out. The reason I'm happy to drop him and not bring Phillips in, and I do agree that, you know, we can't be chasing wins this year by doing moves that are going to just get us over the line here and there, is, is if you do look at Port Adelaide's ruck stocks at the moment. So Sam Hayes is obviously their number one ruck. They then throw Sam Powell Pepper and Jeremy Finlayson into the ruck. So there's not a genuine second ruck for Port Adelaide. So that, that's why I don't mind if Nick Bryan plays and, and, and Peter Wright goes into the ruck for five minutes here or there. I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for us right. be, because... Yeah, Brian down. Sorry, not Brian. I mean, Brian down forward could, could work as a break, but Jones having Jones down forward still means that we're not going to be left with zero targets, which is what I've been reluctant to to put yeah. right in the ruck at all. Is because if he's not there, we've got no one else. But if we've got Jones down there, well, you know, it's not great, but I think it's just better than the alternative of just having Sammy at the moment run around the ground and not really get involved. I mean, yeah, he, okay, he's still winning the hitouts, and yeah, he's still. Yeah, putting a bump here and there, but it can't be good for his confidence at the moment to be no. Well, the flip side of that is okay. So they have the second recognised ruckman, and their recognised ruckman is a guy who's played less than ten games, five games, whatever the amount is. I don't think he's played very much at all. Sam Hayes. 
okay, maybe this is the perfect game for Draper to get back in form. And you go, okay, Sammy, you are going to be bigger and stronger than basically any of the ruckmen or the people they're going to throw in the ruck this week. Go out there, use your size, get aggressive. You know, uh, just just absolutely go hell for leather. You know, if, if you can't do it this week, then you're in trouble. Now, if you now regarding, you know, if you want to say he needs to go down to VFL to get his hand on the football a bit more, completely agree that's a completely separate argument and saying oh we'll flip or we'll give us a bit of chance of winning so if you if the argument is you know going to bfl will help him get some confidence by getting his hands on the pill can't argue with that but i would also say we've got one game before the bye right so if port's ruck socks are so poor maybe this is the game to get him back in form and if he doesn't then we go okay well we've got the bye and then when we're back Sorry, mate, but you'll have to start the second half of the season in the VFL and work your way back. I think the buy sort of that perfect break, but um, I think Jones coming into the team is probably a different kettle fish. My 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 reason for not wanting Wright to go into the ruck is Francis just isn't up to it. I know I know he's your one of your favourites, and I, I think I was labelled as being biased against Francis once because I criticised him two weeks in a row, which I thought was a very low bar. But I I just don't think he makes enough of a target for us to let let Wright leave the 50. If Jones comes in, it, you know, it's probably a different argument. Yeah, look, the thing about Francis, I actually see this week with Red Man as a chance to actually move Francis to the back line because I think he's better down there. I just, I just don't, I think that the forward experiment has failed. I think somebody, somebody pointed out on the board, like if you actually watch the game, he's getting to the ball, but the problem is he doesn't get separation. So he knows how to get to the pill. He just doesn't know how to lose his opponent, which is, which is great for a defender. But terrible for a forward. So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I just look at the I just look at the lineup and go, well, you know, if Jones comes in, okay, Francis. If Francis doesn't go out, then you then you've sort of already got Francis, Reed, Wright, Brian, Jones. It's it's a top heavy side for a wet game, which Port Adelaide's fans are telling us it's going to be really wet over there on Saturday night, or right. sorry, um, when, we, well, when we play them on. Yeah. on Friday, Sunday. Sunday, sorry, Sunday even. I'll, I'll get there eventually. I'll get there all the time. Sunday, uh, so they're telling us that we're looking at eight to twenty mil of rain. So Oof. yeah, so so okay. It's, it's well, not game, it's, um, it's not a game you don't you take two ruckman in. And I think if we drop Brian and take Draper, I think that's a bit disingenuous to poor old Nick Brian because I don't think he's got as much time in the middle as Draper. But I think when he's gone in there, he has out. Oh, I'm not dropping Brian. No, no, no. So it, it's it's Draper and Brian. Or it's Brian and Phillips, but it's not Brian VFL, <laughs> to be very clear. I don't know if Redmond and Francis are they're not the same player, if that makes sense. Like the 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 player that Redmond's defending is not the player Francis will be defending, which means you have to rejig your entire matchup. Whereas I think if you were to slide maybe a McGrath to the halfback in cover of Redmond, and then you move Hobbs from the half forward flank into McGrath's midfield minutes that's a much easier transition and I actually think it puts a few more people in their better positions for example the thing is with Francis we've litigated at this point I think we've stuffed his development he's gone back forward back forward back forward back forward never been able to settle never been able to get fit I just don't know where he sits in the side long term and I'm just thinking long term at this point okay once everyone's fit when you start playing people in positions I don't think Francis is long-term in our side forward. So the question is, can he play back? It really, his position in the back line is Heppel's. If we're being really frank, like if 
if Dyson Heppel wasn't the captain, and, and I think he deserves to play because he's the captain, because of the leadership he shows out in the field, but if he was Joe Blow in the form he's in, Francis would take his spot in the back line and they'd be pretty much like for like, I would think. Yeah, I, I just also see that Ridley's coming in. So when I when I say he Francis takes Redmond's spot in the back line, I suppose where I'm getting at is, is Cutler comes out, Ridley probably becomes more of an attacking option than the one-on-one defender or the intercept defender we're trying to make him play at the moment, which yep. is a little bit bizarre. And then Francis sort, can sort of play that role that, that Cutler tried to play on on Saturday night, to not a great success, I don't think, unfortunately, for Tom. I don't think he's put many, many feet wrong this this year, but I, I don't think he was one of our better players. On Well, he found, he found himself on Tom Lynch on a couple of occasions yeah, just because so, of the rotation. So, like, <laughs> it, it, we're not doing him any favours. No, no, we're not. <laughs> but the other thing I did like about Saturday night was I did like our, our tackling pressure from our, our midfield. So, we, we yep. look, the gauntlet was thrown down. It's It's been... Said time and time again, you know, 30 tackles last week was was absolute garbage. We managed to have on the weekend a lot more than, than 30, which was nice. It was we didn't really have, <laughs> I suppose we didn't have a choice. We had at 64, so we you know we out tackled Richmond. There was I did I did hear on the radio at one stage, so we had 20 in the first quarter, then we dropped back to seven in the second quarter when Richmond sort of got a little bit on top. Um, so there was still that that moment where we just. Yeah, just 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 that that brain fade and and Richmond were able to sort of kick away and then then keep us at arm's length for the rest of the game. So that was disappointing. They, they, they slaughtered us on the outside, which is where the game was lost. Like we just did not have the running. So when the game was in tight and a contested base game like it was in the first quarter, we matched them pretty well, right? But as soon as they were able to break the game out into space. Zach Package has said this a couple of times and I'm starting to come around to it, which is we just have not got the running power required to go with the good teams. Because if we look at teams like Geelong and Fremantle who have done us over, you know, by big margins, you know, Richmond in that second quarter, they just absolutely torched us on the spread. Um, We just didn't have the running power to go with them. And we're not a big midfield. So you'd think the spread (laughs) would be, sort of our strength, but it wasn't. And Richmond just absolutely slaughtered us. So I think I had the uncontested possessions up before. Yeah, so they had 40 more uncontested possessions, which is just too much for a game of football. Yeah, absolutely. But um, just one more thing on the tackle, Ken, just a shout-out to Dylan Shield because I felt, thought he was fairly impressive in, yep. his, in his intent on... Seven tackles, second yeah. highest, second highest of the game, I think. Yeah, second behind Darcy, who showed good defensive effort. Uh, he, I mean, Darcy had forty-four touches the other way. I, I, it was a bit of a Tom Mitchell game, to, to put it bluntly. It was, it was good, yeah. but yeah, he still. He, I mean, the problem is, the thing is, you say Darcy gets cheap touches, which he probably does a little bit, but at the same time, somebody's got to get him. So you know, it's still impressive for the fact that he's actually able to get his hands on the pill because somebody's got to get their hands on the pill. Someone's got to get the disposal. So yeah, you know, it's it's easy to say you got cheap cheap touches, which I know a few people have said, but at the same time, so what? Yeah, so his kick to handball ratio is starting to even out. So remember that Anzac Day game? I think it was like thirteen kicks and twenty eight handballs or something ridiculous. Like it was completely out of whack. I think it was nineteen and twenty something, nineteen and twenty four this week. So yeah. A much better balance of kick and handball, but probably too much. And when the ball was in tight and there to be won, wasn't a problem. I think you're right. Our, our engagement to be physical was much, was much better than against Sydney. It couldn't have been much worse than it was against Sydney. But I think the spread is what killed us. And that's what 
that's how Richmond have always beaten teams. I suppose is on the spread. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll shift the attention away from the game on the weekend. And Bonds, in between our last podcast and the game, there was the incredibly sad news that arguably the most popular figure at the Essendon Football Club in the last 25 years, uh, Anthony McDonald Tippenwoody, retired uh, effective immediately from Australian rules football. He said goodbye to teammates on Friday in a very heartfelt speech, which was caught on video and had I don't know about you, Mont, but certainly me um, in tears. My wife was very upset at me that she didn't see me cry at my wedding or when our child was born, but I cried when Tipper retired. So thanks, Tipper, for getting me in trouble. But um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly sad, but uh, probably worth reflecting on all the good stuff he did um, and all the times he made us smile. Yeah, so look, I was I was okay until I saw the highlights packages and then I saw his speech and all of a sudden it's it hit me just how much we're actually going to miss him because he's only twenty nine years old so it's not like it's not like he's he's thirty two and he's he's come to the end of his career this this it really has sort of come out of nowhere a little bit I mean I know you know last year he missed he he was struggling towards the end of last year and we all saw yeah. that on the on the field and he, he didn't play the last couple of games he didn't play the final which was disappointing for him because the only other final he played was that disaster oh actually no sorry he did play two he played the one against sydney in 2017 and then obviously we the one against smashed, west coast yeah the one we got smashed by west coast in 2019 but he played a, now they did say he played 126 straight games he didn't he played 115 but that's okay we're not we're, we won't we won't um <laughs> we won't quibble. We won't quibble too much on that. He did come to us at, at the start of 2016. He was obviously now the, the common misconception is that Tipper was a top-up player. He wasn't. We actually oh, took, don't we don't did get take me him. Started. We did take oh. him um, before that, so he wasn't a top-up player. Yeah, it's it's tough because yeah, this time last year he was on track for all Australian. If you told if you if we were sitting here this time last year and you said Tipper's going to retire, I would have said you were nuts. Yeah, it's. It's incredibly sad. So there's a whole bunch. Of, it seemed to be from his speech, there seemed to be personal reasons, and we don't need to sort of speculate why those personal reasons are. That there will be rumours floating around. Um, but it did seem out of nowhere. But when you look at the the story that he wrote, that um, he has, in Hamish McLaughlin did a, an interview with him a couple of years back, which was quite enlightening. It's been a incredibly tough road to get him to where he is now, and yeah, maybe he just decided that. Uh, football wasn't uh, the the professionalism of AFL football, which is probably more accurate. wasn't He wasn't up for it anymore, and you know that's that's perfectly fine to 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 get six years of AFL football out of someone with his backstory is an incredible feat of determination and skill and talent. And I just when I thought of Tipper retiring, I just thought of all the the times that he made me smile in a game of football game. I mean, I was there when he kicked seven against Brisbane at the MCG. Absolutely torching poor Nick Robertson <laughs> and uh, have given him nightmares. Um, that game ceiling goal against North Melbourne. Like, what when you think of Tipper, what's the, the moment or the memory that you have that just sticks in your mind? It is hard to go past the game ceiling goal against North Melbourne because I think everyone yeah. in that, I think everyone in that crowd had resigned the fact that we were going to lose because North had all the momentum, we had yep. stopped, and then all of a sudden. You know, he just snaps that one. And uh, my my favourite memory from that game is where I was sitting. I could see the North Melbourne cheer squad, and they were like mocking the Essendon players. They were absolutely mocking them every time. Every time <laughs> there was a point was scored, they'd all stand up and politely clap. And you know, that, they they were. 
basically being smart asses because they thought they had the game won. So they were getting stuck into the players who were playing out of the goal square and really getting stuck into them. And so when Tupac scored the goal and then pulled the jumper out, sort of in their direction, it, it was just one of the funniest things I've ever seen because I've never seen so many grown men who had spent the last 20 minutes basically celebrating a victory look so sullen and angry. <laughs> Poor old McDonald's too pretty slotted him. But then again, you got to remember, his Anzac Day game last year was also pretty special. Oh, yeah. He actually, now, he actually didn't start that game all that well. I'm not sure if you remember, but Isaac Quainor at one stage, you know, Tipper, him, him and Tipper ran for a ball and half, half forward flank. Tipper sort of went to ground pretty easily at the time. Quainor picked it up and started running away. Tipper just sort of got up and jogged after him. And at the time, I was thinking, well, this is going to be a long day because Tipper clearly doesn't, isn't switched on. And then 30 seconds later, he's laying tackles in the, in the, forward, in the forward 50, kicking goals. And, and, and yeah, he ended up, I think he kicked five for that, four or five that day and, yeah. and, and had, a, had a ripping game. Yeah, well, I, I was at the Anzac Day. I think it was in 20... It would have been 2018, 2019. I can't remember. It was Joe Danaher. It was 2017, actually. I think Joe Danaher won the the medal for Anzac Day. And Anthony John Tippingwoody's chased down a Will Hoskin Elliott in the last two or three minutes. We're up by a couple of goals. Collingwood were charging forward. And like a predator, just absolutely tracked him down um, halfway down the wing. I can't remember a roar louder than when he laid that tackle. It was an incredible time to be an Essendon supporter, I think. And I think there there are so many... (laughs) The best testament I can give him is I have a lot of Essendon friends that have kids. And when they told their kids that Tipper was retiring, that they all just bawled their eyes out because Tipper was their favourite player. And there was just this magnetism to him that people loved. The kids all wanted, you know, 43 on their back. And I think not only the club, but the game will be poorer without someone like Anthony Dodd Tipping Woody, who just drew so much joy out of people and uh, was the definition of a cult figure. And to be honest, reading the social medias, all of football fans were, were depressed. We were sad that yes, depressed it wasn't, is a good way. It wasn't just yeah. it wasn't just Essendon fans. Um, opposition fans i don't think there's an opposition fan that's had a bad word to say about tipper because you yep. said he's, he's a very infectious player and um cyril rioli like isn't it like just universally yeah. loved yeah and, and, and he will of course be be sadly missed but that that will do us for tonight grizz so so thank you once again for, for joining us um now we were going to do a sliding doors tonight but but we we have canned it because we wanted to just touch on Tipper because Tipper deserves all the love and admiration that we get. So we will likely get to one next week. And Grizz, did you just want to quickly raise what our other... Yeah, so we, we thought in order to sort of look at the past and not always talk about the, the current team, which might always be going well, we want to do a best 22 in 22. So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to build a best 22 or a team of players that have played for Essendon in the last 22 years. So since the 2000 onwards. And so um, over the next, I don't know, seven, eight weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to go line by line. Um, so next week, we're going to do the fullback line, two back pockets and a fullback. And what we want people to do is in the the sort of the podcast thread, name their own best back pocket, fullback and back pocket since 2022 that have played for Essendon. Um, and you and I will, will, will put that, um, line together next week and we'll keep going from that point on. That's exactly right. Well done, mate. So again, everyone, thank you very much for tuning in.